The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Friday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Former Prime Minister Stephen Harper sits down with the West Bloc with Global News in his first broadcast interview in Canada since he was voted out of office. That's going to air on Sunday. We will tee up that interview. He's doing the interview because he has a book out. Also, we're going to tell you more about an athlete with cerebral palsy who was signed by Nike. Did Nike sign him for the right reasons? Are they in it for the right reasons? Big controversy in the NHL over a player who had his suspension reduced by an arbitrator, a suspension related to a domestic abuse situation. We're going to talk to the mayor of Winkler. They're getting ready for a plebiscite on pot. Bob Irving joins us to tee up the Bomber game this weekend. Big game for the Bombers. They're all big games as we get ready to wrap up the season. Only three games left. A number of exchange district businesses throwing their support in for Portage in Maine. We'll tell you about one of those businesses. We'll speak to one of those businesses. King and Bannatine joining us on Team Open or Vote Open for Portage in Maine. And finally, 800 chocolate footballs at the Bomber pregame tomorrow to celebrate the fact that Bob Irving is covering his 800th game this weekend. Well, it's called Right Here, Right Now, and that's the name of a new book out by Stephen Harper, Right Here, Right Now, Politics and Leadership in the Age of Disruption. In a Canadian broadcast exclusive, the former Prime Minister was interviewed by West Bloc host Mercedes Stevenson. Harper sharing what life has been like since his election loss in 2015 and his thoughts on how Canada fared in trade talks with the United States. And while he says Canada still has trade problems, Harper says it's not with the U.S. I believe that the imbalances with China are a very serious problem. Um, As I say in the book, as you know, I'm an economist by training, and a lot of economists will say the fact that we have a deficit with China uh, doesn't matter and no form of protectionism can possibly work. Um, Look, those who say that trade deficits or trade surpluses don't matter and protectionism can never work, forgot to tell the Chinese. That's just part of former Prime Minister Harper's interview and conversation with the West Bloc host Mercedes Stevenson, who joins us now from Ottawa with more on what was said. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning. This this book, uh, I'm not sure I will read it or not, but one question that bouncing around in my head for the last, oh, couple of hours or so since I knew we were going to have you on the program this morning, is how closely was former Prime Minister Harper in contact with current Prime Minister Trudeau on these trade negotiations? No indication as to whether there was any contact between the two of them. Um, We do know that Prime Minister Trudeau talked to former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, uh, who was very supportive, but... Harper was not as uh, enthusiastic about the approach the Trudeau government took, and that was actually leaked in a note at one point that he'd written to colleagues. Uh, And when I talked to him about the deal, he said unequivocally the U.S. 
got a good deal. Canada uh, got kind of half NAFTA. He calls it NAFTA 0.5 instead of you know, NAFTA 2.0. Um, so I don't get the sense that there was a lot of communication. If there was any, I don't know. But he was very careful about what he would talk about on anything that got close to what he perceived as partisan politics. He's trying to be the statesman, which is what most prime ministers do when they leave office. So he's sort of giving you the big picture on what he thinks about things. So in your conversations with him, I know he also spoke about just sort of maybe liking a bit more, being a a bit more, the anonymity that comes with being out of office. Do you get the sense that he misses it at all, though? Because he keeps inserting himself into so many of these conversations. You know, in a way, he's there, but but he doesn't talk publicly that often, and he certainly doesn't talk to the media in Canada, at least, very much. Uh, he's talked to Fox News and others. This is his first broadcast interview, um, and it, it's something where he talks about it's the best job he says he ever had best job in the best country in Canada. Uh, And he misses that part of it, but he also says it's an absolute grind as you can imagine. And he kind of enjoys being in New York and walking down the street and not having people know who you are, not having to have the security detail, having sort of this more normal life. He told me he spends most of his time on the road now advising companies and governments and international clients. Um, So it's very different, but you can tell that love of, Uh, policy and economics and politics is very much still there. And despite the statesman role, you do hear him every so often take that little swipe at the liberals, uh, which most partisan politicians can't uh, hold themselves back from. Now, he referenced it in the clip. He says Canada has trade problems, but not with the U.S., with China. What's going on there in his eyes? So he has a lot in this book about China, and he really thinks it's a problem because he says they're being allowed to essentially trade as equals to Canada or the U.S., but they have, he believes, huge advantages because it's government-run and government-owned economy, and these are government companies. So he really cautions on Chinese trade and, and getting the short end of the stick there, uh, and that he believes that can actually feed populism. He links it to, for example, areas that voted pro-Trump uh, that saw wage reductions after deals with China, after immigration, uh, in terms of illegal immigration affected those areas. And he says, look, anything that's reducing people's jobs or their take-home pay are things that can feed populism. And he doesn't believe populism itself is the problem, uh, which, of course, is a controversial position. But he argues it's actually a response to certain economic and social conditions and that that's what politicians need to address if they want to address populism. So does he feel that Canada is failing to, is sort of missing the point on China that we should be doing more here? Well, he does say that he thinks there's a need to be cautious. He talks in big picture terms. So Canada has trade with China, but he certainly supports Donald Trump's position with China, which is interesting because he doesn't support Trump on everything. Uh, But he does on that. He doesn't dislike the clause in NAFTA or now USMCA that would stop us from signing a trade deal uh, with China without consulting the U.S. He believes Western countries really kind of need to approach China with a unified front because it is a big market, because he believes it has so many advantages. Uh, So he's sort of ringing the warning bell here for everyone saying, be cautious with China. Hey, Mercedes, before we let you go here, do you know anything about this, this thing that he did yesterday at the Canadian Club of Toronto where the news media was uninvited to the speech? I'll say my understanding was that they were never supposed to be invited in the first place from a source. Um, So it wasn't so much an uninvited as a human error. uh, And I, I have that one on pretty good authority. Okay. Well, not a surprise. Stephen Harper didn't really speak to the Canadian media very often when he was prime minister, right? So why (laughs) would anything change? He said, you may remember 
The lights and cameras and microphones were not my favorite part of the Oh, talk. he admitted that, did he? <laughs> he did. He said it on camera, and he started to laugh. Is he so. as boring now as he ever was? <laughs> you know, he's uh, he was a very different person in the interview than I ever saw of the Stephen Harper in office. It's, it's three years. He's had a chance to get over that election loss. Um, he's much more relaxed, and he actually made some jokes. So there you go. That's we'll cr- look forward to that. That's this Sunday on the West Block. All right, Mercedes Stevenson, thank you very much. The West Block airs in Winnipeg Sunday at 11 a.m. and then again at 10.30 p.m. It's the first broadcast interview he's given in Canada since he was voted out of office, and it's on Global News, the West Block. And uh, I'm, I'm, I guess he's wonder if he still has that Lego man hair. Looks he's like, got a full head of hair, though. Well, I know, he's got a yeah. great head of hair, but it looks like he, you know, he could be a Lego guy. Well, it's interesting because he was so cautious. I'm just going to move past the Lego reference, but you're right. Very molded to his head. Yeah, like in the doesn't move. If he was at that royal wedding where it's super windy yes. with Eugenie and the tennis players, his hair would his hair would not move still in that wind. Mm-hmm. Neither would his facial expression. Yeah, I, I feel like he's. If she's right, if he's more relaxed now, he might have a lot more to great. say. Wonderful, he'll, he'll be wearing the blue sweater. So we told you a little bit about this yesterday. just want to play a snip of a global news story on an athlete that's been signed to Nike, and there's something rather special about him. So when you see him out here on the track, just trucking around these laps, super impressive. Justin Gallegos could easily have been ignored or even ridiculed. A California teenager born with cerebral palsy who used a walker for much of his childhood. We would go out for a run and he would fall. And... Nine out of ten times, he'd just get back up and we'd just keep running and finish the day. And he'd have bloody knees and bloody elbows. And There were times where I wasn't sure if I was going the, down the right path. Justin Gallegos, signed by Nike, first ever athlete with cerebral palsy, runs the half marathon in about two hours. Way faster than I could do it. Yeah, and they worked with him to create, I think, a special shoe because his gait's a little bit different. And so they he got the shoe out of it and a contract with Nike and was full of tears. It was pretty emo- Like, it was making the rounds on social media, and people were super emotional seeing that. And I know, Kelly, you uh, were overwhelmed by the, oh. the video yourself, as was I. So many people that I know, some people now, you know, suggesting, hey, hey, you know, Take it easy. Nike doesn't do anything unless they think they can make money off of it. Well, fine and dandy. But if it, you know, if it helps uh, with a tell the story of a of a great young athlete and an incredible person like just, uh, Justin Gallegos, I don't care how many millions Nike makes off it. I really don't. All I care about is the story they told yesterday. And if that inspires people to buy their product, well, then so be it. Yeah, why do they have to be mutually exclusive? Why can't it be both? Like, obviously, they're a corporation. Of course, they're out to make money. We're out to make money, too. As a corporation, everybody's job is. So what does that say about where we've come as a society where Nike believes by endorsing an athlete like Justin and taking his profile and and raising it immensely um, they obviously feel as though this is going to resonate with the public and going to build good good graces and a good relationship with the public. What does that say about how perceptions of of uh, you know disabled people has has come? And I'm, I know I'm using the wrong uh, terminology for 2018. 
well, ter- I don't know. I think I think this will be great for people like Justin because I think it will maybe serve as an inspiration. I think it will make them feel, uh, I don't know, maybe a bit more accepted if there are feelings uh, that where they they feel like they're not accepted. I think this is good. Yeah, they, they so they're going to make money. They're a corporation, as Braun pointed out, and also it's been said there's no such thing as a truly selfless act. So if you can help people but also make money, great. I'm okay with it too. Do you have a problem with it? Not in any way shape or form. I I think it's 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 giving me hope that yeah. we're, we're coming around on these things and and celebrating our differences and celebrating our abilities in spite of our limitations. It's a huge platform and one of the the things about Justin's story is that I in reading on globalnews.ca he had leg braces and he mm-hmm. used to have to use a walker and then he got to grade 9 and thought you know what I'm going to give running a shot because I'd like to do it. And suddenly he's doing marathons or half marathons. And so if that allows that story to become something bigger on the world stage, and I think that's fantastic. I don't, I don't, there's, it's not an altruistic act to sponsor this kid at all, but it's a, but it's a good thing going forward for everybody to learn from. Yeah, I think Brett hit on a really, really good point, and that is in going forward, there may be other kids with cerebral palsy who might not have seen the way uh, to be able to accomplish something like what Justin Gallegos has done. So to steal a page from the Jimmy V book, you know, if the legs are in braces, don't give up. Don't ever give up because we've seen an indication and we've seen uh, in in human flesh what can happen if you persevere. When I grew up in the West End, there was a young man who inspired all of, all of us in the West End. His name was Helder. And he had cerebral palsy, he had a three-wheeled bicycle, he came to scouts with us, he came to school with us, and I have a mutual friend who tells me he's doing amazing things 40 years later in our community, and it's just uh, one of these stories that just resonates on a different level, uh, depending on your interaction with folks with cerebral palsy, or anybody who has had some sort of barrier they've had to overcome. I think it's an incredibly powerful story for for Nike to be telling, for us to be talking about this is, morning. Is there more, you know, going forward, is there more they could do then for um, those living with any sort of disabilities or cognitive issues in terms of, like, okay, this, put this, this, this puts this story on the, on the world stage, but now what are they going to do with the profit that they might make from these shoes? Is there, you know, could, is there a spinoff there? I think yes, if we want to get mad about them making money about it, but. I, I'm very proud to call a young man, uh, a friend, uh, Jordan Rogodansky. I don't think I booted his last name too badly. He's a student at Miles Mac. He yep. has cerebral palsy. He does a sports show. Mm-hmm. This young man is as driven and committed. And uh, he came into the station one time. We recorded a sports cast together. I, I can honestly say that he is one of my heroes because of what he does on a day-in, day-out basis and never, ever lets the challenges in his life interfere one bit in achieving his dream. Right now, Greg, let's start with a rather startling situation in the NHL. Yes, well, uh, earlier uh, in... Well, here, let's, let me just read this here. Commissioner Gary Bettman handed down a suspension last month to Nashville uh, Predators forward Austin Watson. Uh, this situation has got a lot of people riled up. The, the Predators 
have uh, been standing behind Watson. He's been allowed to practice with the team. And yesterday, it was announced that a an arbitrator had slashed the NHL suspension of 27 games to 18 games because of this off-ice in- incident between Watson and his girlfriend. And a lot of people, as I said, are up in arms about this. So this was nothing to do with the game. There was no penalty. This Correct. is about so, so the allegations were of domestic assault? Yeah, well, it wasn't allegations uh, because uh, we were talking about this before we came on the air. He pleaded Loren, no contest. Right. So what, is, what does that mean so, in, in America? So a no contest, no contest plea, it's, it's neither saying you did it or that you didn't do it. It just means you're not disputing the disputing the charges because you want to move on. And it's like taking a plea and I'll, I'll take the, it literally means um, I do not wish to, to enter to a contend plea. contend this. I'm, I'm not opposing this, but it's also not saying it's not it's like it's not a guilty plea. It's just kind of putting your hands up and saying, fine, let's move on. So Watson was charged in an incident June 16th with his girlfriend after a witness flagged down a police officer at a gas station in ten- Franklin, Tennessee. Watson told police he and his girlfriend were arguing and that he pushed her. Officers said they found red marks on her chest and she said Watson caused them. Watson pleaded no contest to domestic assault on July 24th, which in turn uh, gave him a uh, part uh, the opportunity to fulfill uh, the terms of uh, a diversion program. He has to serve three months of probation and complete both an inpatient treatment program and a batterer's intervention program. The NHL handed down the 27-game suspension, and the NHLPA helped Watson appeal the decision. So you you were fired up about this this morning as well, Greg. Yeah, and uh, Doug McLean, who's a former general manager in the National Hockey League with the Florida Panthers and uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, he was a regular contributor uh, on Sports Sunday and on the Sunday morning hockey show before that here on 680 CJOB, and here are his thoughts on this. I, I don't know who to be more upset with here. I'm appalled that the NHLPA appealed this. I'm appalled that the arbitrator reduce this suspension this is a societal issue and we do this as a as a not the national hockey league but this situation i mean what message does this send to young men to young ladies to our fans i mean come on this is ridiculous i don't get it for a minute i'm upset about it i'm ticked off and i am lost as to whatever who was thinking this? Now, the NHL does not have a written domestic abuse policy and has chosen to judge each incident separately. Slava Voinov, uh, outstanding defenseman with the Los Angeles Kings, is currently st- suspended indefinitely, and that is stemming from a 2014 incident. Uh, Voinov has been playing in the KHL. There have been conversations about whether or not he should be allowed to come back into the NHL. In fact, one report had the, the Winnipeg Jets as one of the team's perhaps interested in bringing Voinov back uh, to the NHL. That's not necessarily been confirmed anywhere at all, but uh, don't expect to see Voinov back in the NHL. So uh, why are they weighing in on this? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I get why they are doing it in the first place. We were talking about this morning, Greg, that the idea would be there's a code of conduct out there. So it's, you, you, you sign on with a team. and Within seems, your contract. Right. And so you have to behave in a certain way. Then you go to court. You plead no contest. Fine. You can say that legally that means you're neither saying you're guilty or you're not guilty, but you you didn't dispute it. 
And so your league is handed down a suspension. Why is your union fighting for you on that? And why, like, if you want to move on from it, then just take the punishment and then move on. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And nine games, I mean, there's a fair amount of salary involved here, but the optics on this are terrible, uh, in my opinion. The Predators have been allowing Watson to practice, and he was in full uniform the other night uh, when the when the Predators raised those banners for the president's trophy and a couple other unwarranted banners, but that's another conversation. But Watson was right there with his teammates in full uniform on the ice. Uh, something else that many people uh, raised an eyebrow about at the time. Well, as you mentioned, uh, he's got, he has to go through this diversion program and he can have this misdemeanor charge dismissed by fulfilling the terms of that. So if he does, fulfill the terms and he has his charge dismissed this the slate is essentially wiped clean so is it not then the nhlpa's job to stand up for members of its union well based on what i understand about what sort of arrangements are made when you when you plea out like this you cannot go back to the judge and try and renegotiate the terms that the judge has handed out in terms of a sentence. So what I don't understand is if you're going to play by the rules in the in the court of law and the optics and everything else involved, why are you going down this road to appeal this decision by the National Hockey League, by your employer? I, th- I think it just it looks really bad. It also sends a confusing confusing message. You you talked about how Watson uh, was in the opening and was in his uniform, and so some people were tweeting out, you know, this hits me really hard as a female f- fan. You're saying we care about domestic violence, and then you're saying, but not really, because we're, we're allowing this this person to come on the ice. Look, there, there may, there's obviously maybe somewhere in this more to the story, but it doesn't matter. There was a stance taken. There was a court charge. You pleaded no contest. Your league gave you a punishment. Just take it. And, and then and then maybe we can all move on from that. So marijuana legal in under a week, Loren, but a lot of communities are doing their own thing, sort of. Yeah, well, October 17th is is the date on everyone's calendar for when pot is legal in Canada. But there are actually eight municipalities in Manitoba that still are giving residents the say on whether they want to have pot stores in their communities. And so on October 24th, eight municipalities, among them Steinbeck, uh, Riding Mountain, Wallace Woodworth, and of course Winkler, are putting it to the people. Joining us on the phone right now is the mayor of Winkler, Martin Harder. Good morning, Martin. Good morning. So explain to us how this is going to work. October 24th, Winkler's residents get the say on whether they want pot or not in Winkler? Well, it's a very simple question, whether or not you want a retail store. It's not whether or not you want pot or not. We fully understand and realize there will be pot around. We have all our bylaws in place in order to accommodate where it can be uh, consumed. And uh, I think we've done a lot of work on it over the year, but just simply, do you want a retail store or do you not want a retail store? What drove the uh, the plebiscite? Why, why did it happen? Or why is it happening? Well, uh, obviously, we've struggled with this for over a year since uh, we were supposed to indicate whether we were going to allow it or not. Province was pushing. The feds, obviously, they haven't changed their mind. And we just said, you know, this isn't right. We need to go to the people, and it needs to be a democratic decision. 
and allow the people to determine whether or not they want to have a retail store or not. Mm-hmm. So that's what drove it. But also uh, uh, there were some uh, uh, rumors in regards to people wanting to uh, have a plebiscite and they were prepared to go to the people and basically work this summer to get their required 20% signatures in order to get it on the ballot. So, well, why would we be that stupid? Why would we make somebody or a group of people or whatever uh, get up in arms and go uh, and make this election simply about pot because it isn't it's there are so many things that are going on in this community that we just can't afford to just focus on one thing now i know winkler is a is a city that um had changing liquor laws over the years and that uh, it wasn't allowed up to a certain point and so I'm, I'm curious what you think the people there might vote when it comes to allowing the sale of of cannabis in winkler Oh, I, I we've had we've had lots of people who said yes we should. There's lots of people say we don't. And uh, personally, I don't think that there'll be a huge spread. I said before, I think probably we'll be within a ten percent range, and I really don't know which one will come on top. Uh, you're right. Uh, there have been changes in regards to liquor laws over the years, and that goes back to the late '90s when uh, when the bars were allowed in liquor or. or or licensed restaurants were allowed in Winkler, and uh, now you can hardly go to a, a restaurant that isn't licensed, and it's an acceptable thing. But uh, can I say that uh, that uh, liquor consumption hasn't caused issue? I look at our police reports. I look at uh, I look at some of the uh, domestic assaults, and and they're they're all related to liquor. So, you know, it's it's not that one is good and yet the other one's evil. It's just simply a matter of. Uh, uh, what people are choosing to do. And that's why we said, you know, we're going to just leave it up to the people to decide. I think a lot of people would applaud that uh, road to direct uh, democracy on an issue like this. Will the plebiscite be binding, Mr. Mayor? Yes, it will be. Have you considered it all? I know um, there's an article out of Steinbach online this morning about the RM of Hanover, which surrounds the area in Steinbach and Niverville, and they've actually decided to not put it to the people. They're not going to be holding the plebiscite. The article says that the they've decided that they can kind of get around it because the bylaw means that you can't have, you know, these stores within certain meters of the schools and all the rest. And so none of these small towns would fit it. And so they just decided, you know what, we're not even going to do the plebiscite at all. We just don't want it. Was that on the table at all? Or, or, or was the discussion from the beginning that we might as well let Winkler decide? You know, we, we looked at it. We looked at and, and Winkler is not like an RM where you have uh, a small urban center that uh, where it doesn't fit. We 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 look at our bylaw. We looked at the locations where it could be. There's a commercial retail uh, zone within the city of Winkler that is within the parameters prescribed by the province. And so, yeah, there is a possibility of having here. But uh, uh, we also discussed this at a meeting with our Pemina Valley region mayors. There's 14 of us that sit together. We thought, well. Maybe we should make a decision uh, together, either not to have it or to, to the people or whatever. And there are people who are in municipalities there that say, you know, based on the parameters the province has prescribed, uh, it, it doesn't matter to us because we don't have a place to put it. And I don't know the dynamics of, uh, of Hanover uh, in particular, what their what the sizes of the communities are, how close they are to the schools or that type of thing. Uh, but that would be a determining factor. And, and in fact, in Winkler, uh, there, there is a zone where it is possible. Uh, the other thing that I, I just need to add here is because 
we've had discussions with people who want to come and set up. There is a location where, matter of fact, they had uh, tentatively reserved uh, a lease space for it. And so when I called it back and said, you know, it's only fair for me to let the investor know that we're going to take it to a plebiscite. And I explained it to him the reason why. Because if you, if you don't take it to a plebiscite and you think that the people are going to accept it and you put a retail store into a community and you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on leasehold improvements, and six months later, somebody decides, I'm getting 20% of these votes or the voters list, and I'm going to go out and get a plebiscite going for either the next election or whatever. And initially, it, it didn't even need to wait for an election. So I said, I told them, I said, we just decided enough is enough. You're going to take it to the people. We decide. And you know something? He was impressed. He said, that is exactly what I need to hear because you're absolutely right. And I've been a businessman all my life. I said, there's no way that I would want to go through this. And then somebody say no. So, and, and I know the hardship that, uh, that uh, one of the businesses in town went through when, it, when we went to a plebiscite. And that one had to, had to do with uh, the VLTs. And he was extremely angry. And, you know, the, the people decide this is what we want. And so, therefore, why in the world do we want to put a retailer through that? So, Martin Harder is the mayor of Winkler. We have to leave it there, but thank you very much for the time this morning. We appreciate the access. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on 680 CJOB. Congratulations to Heather Tabin. She picked up a pair of tickets for tomorrow's Bomber game because she knew where our next guest is from. Bob Irving, (laughs) where are you from? I'm from somewhere in Saskatchewan. Somewhere in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Can you be more specific? Or <laughs> well, I grew up in Regina, if I have to admit it to those who don't know already. <laughs> well, I actually uh, Googled that this morning, Bob, and then I was was I wanted to ask you personally. To, you know, Wikipedia is not always right, but yes, Regina, okay. Well, we all have to be from somewhere, don't we? <laughs> we all have our crosses to bear, Mr. Irving. Yes, I know, I know. I uh, used to get it in uh, Alberta all the time. Oh, Winnipeg, that's a great place to be from. Yeah. Uh, Blue Bombers in Saskatchewan, Rough Riders. It is a big, big game. Bigger game for the Bombers than it is for the Rough Riders, Bob? Yeah, I think so, uh, Greg. The, the Riders look like they are pretty safe to finish second in the West Division at 10-5. and five. The Bombers are 8-7 and seven, and, of course, surging, as we all know, and trying to nail down a playoff spot. You, you'd never convince Saskatchewan that it's more important to Winnipeg because they, I guess they still have designs, if everything fell right, of catching first place. But, uh, yeah, for the Bombers, you know, it's funny. When the schedule came out in February or January, wherever it was, I looked at the end of it, and I saw the last three games home against Saskatchewan, home against Calgary in Edmonton. And I thought, wow, uh, regardless of how the season plays out, those three games are more than likely going to have a huge bearing on what happens with the Bombers, and that's certainly the way it's shaping up. So they, we, one of the trivia questions we had earlier this week was that the bomb, in order for the Bombers to uh, what was it, finish second, Greg, they had to win out and the Riders had to lose out. Is there, what's the likelihood of that happening? I would say it's not, you know, if you want a percentage, maybe 15 or 20%, but who knows, you know, 
the Bombers were written off by everybody when they lost four games in a row. What do they do? They turn around and win three in a row. Edmonton can't win to save their lives right now. Uh, you, you know, so it's just impossible to predict. And these teams all play each other down the stretch. If the Bombers win tomorrow, they're two points behind Saskatchewan for second place. But the Riders have won the season series, which is problematic for the Bombers, obviously. So, I don't know. I, I know the Bombers' only goal and thought right now is to win a couple more games and make the playoffs. That's all they care about. It feels like they have the momentum, right? I mean, what, they won three games. They're looking for their fourth in the row. So it feels like they're coming into this, uh, in my opinion, the favorites. Yeah, they're, well, they're playing their best football, I think, Loren, right now. And, you know, the two games that they lost to Saskatchewan, the, the Labor Day Classic and then the Banjo Bowl, they could have easily won either of them. And in many ways, they outplayed the Riders, but the turnovers killed them. They just turned the ball over in epidemic fashion in both those games. And, of course, the last three games, they've played much cleaner. They don't take penalties. Their offense came to life in Ottawa in a big way. Their defense is playing better. Yeah, they're uh, they're looking good. Now, the Riders have won seven of eight. So this is a team that's also... Uh, you know, on a roll, and it's a great matchup. It really is. Well, Bob, you know, you mentioned the defense, and you mentioned turnovers, and it was the big turnover, the fumble recovery by Javon Santos-Knox caused by Adam Hill that right. salvaged that game in Ottawa last Friday night, and outside, really, of the first drive and the last two offensive drives by Ottawa, the Winnipeg defense was absolutely stellar against the Red Blacks. Well, they were, and, of course, they played the uh, that great game in Edmonton the week before, Greg. They, they've really come on, and Adam Big Hill, of course, has a lot to do with that. He's just kind of driving the bus uh, on defense. But, yeah, the defense has played a lot better, and Saskatchewan's offense is not exactly prolific. The Riders win because of special teams and defense. So I look for the Bomber defense to be solid again tomorrow. I think Winnipeg will win this game. I, I think they've got a lot of things going for them not the least of which is home field. And the fact that they've been beaten by the Riders twice already this year, I know that uh, that doesn't sit very well with them. So I really like their chances of winning tomorrow. And if they win tomorrow, uh, boy, uh, you know, we'll, again, we'll have to just see how the rest of the games in the league play out because the Bombers going to a bye after tomorrow. So then they'll be sitting back next weekend and watching the other teams slug it out. And uh, it's going to be fascinating. It really is. Now, Bob, I know you want us all to focus on the game tomorrow, but it's also a pretty big game. I think CJOB's done the math, and it sounds like it's your 800th game that you've covered for CJOB Radio. That's that's pretty impressive. Well, it dates me, Loren, <laughs> is what it does. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. It's funny. I remember the first one that I ever did. And I remember the last one, which was the game in Ottawa. The rest of them are all a blur. Uh, no, seriously, there are some that stick out more than others. But it's been, I've said this many times, it's been a great ride. I still have fun doing it. That game in Ottawa last week that went to overtime, uh, was uh, I was you know, blowing my mind calling the end of that and just having a ball. So uh, the, fun, the fun continues for me even 800 games later. Well, Bob, on that note, because I just kind of flipped the game on, I was I think I was watching a movie or something, but I checked in on the game, and I saw that the Bombers seemed to have it well in hand, so when I looked at the sheet the next day to see that the game went into overtime, and then the way that it played out, I asked Greg if he had an AED on standby, because he might have gotten into cardiac arrest. So what is it like calling a game that suddenly, like, it seems like it's a lock, and then it's not even close to a lock? 
Well, you can feel it, and I'm sure Greg and all the fans, I, I could feel it. Uh, Ottawa had built this momentum. They got the late drive to, to get within, uh, you know, eight. And then the Bombers had to punt uh, the ball to them, and, and Ottawa's offense was rolling at that point. It's just, uh, Brad, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And, and you can sense what's coming. You really can. And it doesn't always turn out that way, but it, it felt like, this thing was going to go to overtime. And then when it did, you're wondering, geez, I wonder if the Bombers can sort of bounce back from that. And to their credit, they did. And look, uh, I'm from Winnipeg. I'm broadcasting to a Bomber audience, and it was great fun. I mean, it would have been a horrible loss for the Bombers had they lost that game. But to to describe that fumble at the end where the game was over and the Bombers had won, uh, it was a blast. It really was. Well, Bob, can't wait to see you tomorrow. 11 o'clock, things get underway. 1 o'clock kickoff at IGF. We'll celebrate with a little bit of chocolate. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll toast you with those uh, chocolate footballs at some point today and or tomorrow. All right, my friend, thank you for this. Sounds good. My pleasure, you guys. All Back right, Bob. Passes Jones. Oh. Pumps, pulls it down. Now he's forced out of there. Throws down to the goal line. Touchdown. Milt Stiegel has broken the Allen Pitts record for touchdowns receiving in a season. That's number 22 for Stiegel, and he has also tied the all-time CFL record for touchdowns in a season held by Corey Philpott with his 22nd as the marvelous season for number 85 moves to yet another level. And the marvelous career of Bob Irving moves to yet another level. You can say everything you want about the knowledge that he has about the game, but the enthusiasm that still rings from his voice every single time he calls a play is pretty incredible. We start this half hour with the hurricane. Yeah, Hurricane Michael. It felt as though its power and strength came from nowhere, you guys. Uh, even though the Florida Panhandle had been warned about Hurricane Michael, it didn't seem as though the warnings were as dire as they were for Florence just a few weeks ago. As most, if not all, hurricanes do, it began as a tropical storm and it quickly gained strength as it made its way north across the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. As Michael made its track to... It grew in intensity from that tropical storm until it reached Category 4 status as it made landfall. As we are starting to hear, Hurricane Michael has the distinction as one of the strongest hurricanes to ever make landfall in the United States. Yesterday afternoon, Julian Richard connected with David Barnes. His on-air name is DJ Big Boy at 99.3 The Beat in Panama City, Florida. One of the communities that appears to have been hardest hit by Michael is a place called Mexico Beach. Some of the images are reminiscent of the after effects of a tsunami. So why don't we start with this? Where is Mexico Beach? Actually, 99.3 The Beat is uh, here in Panama City, Florida. Mexico Beach is uh, this little small little city uh, away from here, maybe maybe 10 miles away from here. Uh, on yesterday, as you all know, up there in Canada, uh, Michael came ashore as a Category 4. They are now saying, and we are now saying here in Panama City, maybe a low Category 5, which is the strongest to ever hit land here on the Gulf Coast. Uh, I wrote it out here at the radio station with my colleagues and my family, and uh, the devastation is widespread. It, it is literally widespread. Now, obviously, being part of the media on the radio, part of the role in that situation is to disseminate and 
share information with listeners. What advice are you giving residents in the aftermath of this monster storm? Uh, we've been saying on air uh, since yesterday and today, um, make way for first responders. Let first responders come in here, let them do their job, let them set up, let them set up the staging areas so they can, you know, release uh, resources that are definitely, definitely needed here. So uh, it's devastation I've never seen. I went through Hurricane Opal in 95, uh, Dennis in 05, and Hurricane Ivan in 2005 as well. I've seen many storms go through this way, and this one definitely, definitely takes number one in my book. As you heard David tell Richard and Julie, this was not his first hurricane. Richard wanted wanted to know, did this experience scare him at any point? I was. Like I said, I've been through many of hurricanes. I've been through many of storms, uh, tropical cyclones and systems here in the Panama City, Florida area. And it got to a point where I was scared, where the winds... Um, I don't know if you guys have them up there in uh, Canada, but uh, here in Florida and South, you know, we have tornadoes a lot during the springtime. And they always say you can hear a tornado coming when it sounds like a freight train. And the wind sounded like a freight train barreling down on us. And the winds got so rough, they got so bad to the point where I was scared. Here in the station, uh, the roof started to shake. The roof started to tremble. Uh, I know in our sales department, uh, some of the roof is gone, completely gone. We can look up into the sky. Um, I know we have water damage on that side, and um, we have damage to our tower in the back and to our shed in the back as well. So I I definitely was scared. I've never been through anything like this, and, um, yeah, I definitely was. Well, David Barnes, stay safe. Thanks for giving us some perspective and for keeping your listeners on top of everything. All the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. You be safe. Now, one of the questions that is never far from the conversation is whether or not residents leave when officials issue a mandatory evacuation. Did most people leave, David? Uh, Most people did. Most people did heed the calls and the warnings. If you were in the flood zones A, B, or C, they told you uh, mandatory evacuations. You needed to leave. You needed to get out uh, ASAP. And the local law enforcement, they weren't playing about that. They told you, hey, you need to get out now. Because if you don't get out now, it will be too late. And we are not coming to get you once the storm gets bad. And they didn't. They didn't. They were not venturing out into a category for a hurricane uh, just to come and get you. Even though you might need an emergency right then, they weren't going to jeopardize their lives to come get you in a category for a hurricane. That was DJ Big Boy from 99.3 The Beat in Panama City, Florida, in conversation with our own Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham yesterday afternoon on the news. And indeed, as you mentioned, it seemed like the, the power and strength came from nowhere. The warnings, because the lead up to Florence was days long. It just, you know, we were, I was wondering, is this thing ever going to hit? Because CNN was on the scene for about a week beforehand, and this with this one, it was maybe a day, and then suddenly we were all taken aback by the headlines that said catastrophic damage impending, and seeing the footage today uh, from the area that DJ Big Boy was talking about, just the utter devastation with homes just wiped off the ground, uh, really startling footage to see. That makes me kind of thankful that we don't have to deal with that kind of stuff here, although... 
tornadoes seem to be but getting closer and closer. But goes to show you too. I think more than anything, when those warning goes warnings go out, just to heed them because it's been all over the map. You mentioned Florence, and the and there was days of people saying, "Get out! This is going to be catastrophic." It was extremely bad, but it wasn't like. Hurricane Michael and Hurricane Michael felt like a little more like it came out of nowhere. And then if you didn't leave because, you know, you felt like it was the little boy who cried wolf or something like that, you find yourself in a really dangerous and, and well, it's taking lives, right? So you, you can't blame the forecasters. These storms turn on a dime. They pick up steam in the last few minutes. I mean, it can be really intense. And so if anything, the lesson to be learned is, okay, do I need to stick around in this scenario? No, get out. Yeah, the latest number is 11 deaths, five in Virginia, because as we learn, most deaths in a hurricane are in the aftermath, the flooding, and that's what we're seeing. Severe, heavy rain in Virginia, North and South Carolina, parts of the United States that do not need any more rain, no more water, uh, but they are getting it, unfortunately, in the aftermath of this incredibly powerful storm, Hurricane Michael. And even Environment Canada has issued special weather statements and rainfall warnings for parts of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, which could get more than 50 millimeters of rain tonight. Mackling McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Excited to talk about chocolate in a moment. Want to first direct you to CJOB.com. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. And we were having a conversation earlier about Manitoba businesses think that high school students are unprepared for the workforce when they come out of school. So the question of the day at CJOB.com. Dot com is as follows. Do you think that students, hang on a second, how did I word it? Do you think high school students are adequately prepared slash motivated to join the workforce after they graduate? Yes, no, and schools need to do better, or no, and it's not the school's job to motivate students to work. Log on to cjob.com. In studio with us, we have chocolatier or chocolatier, if you prefer, Constance Pop. And she brought some chocolate footballs. Good morning, CJOB people. Hello there. Constance has her camera out, so we'll say hello to social media that she is. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Constance. Great to finally meet you in person. I didn't want to promise them anything because I knew we were coming in to talk chocolate. And, I, you know, I made the assumption you might bring some. But she has she's overdone herself mm. with chocolate-covered strawberries. Oh. And, of course, what's on the menu for tomorrow? Chocolate footballs. Chocolate. Well, <laughs> the, the strawberries were were done in football theme too. Mm. Yeah, if you can't tell what Brett was saying, uh, we're celebrating Bob Irving's 800th game, covering Winnipeg Blue Bombers, his 800th game. And so to do that, tell us, Constance, how you got brought into this equation. You got a phone call and said, "Help us celebrate," or what? They said, "Can you make 800 chocolate footballs?" <laughs> and we said, "We sure can." For when? Oh, in a couple of days. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bob Irving. Great. Oh, and I actually thought he was retiring. No, don't even say I that word. I know he's not. I know that now, but I was telling people I think he might be, and people were very upset. Of course. He's a legend. You don't want him off the airwaves. He's been he's been around 40 years. Was it that? Um, 40. It is, closer, has been 40. Closer to 47. Mm-hmm. Really? I think so. It's it's 40 about. years with OB. Yeah, yeah, 1974, yeah. 1974, I hear he started. Yeah, so that's 44, right? Just at OB alone, right? I guess so, yeah. If my math is, if my Daniel Mac math is right. I guess that is correct. So, but, uh, 
I was interested to find out that he uh, has uh, the media room named after him at mm-hmm. IG Stadium, and also that he received the Order of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. You've been doing so your homework. I, I, I think that's really impressive. And it's 45 years on the job with CGOB. 800 games he's covered as of roughly tomorrow. Tell us a bit about the footballs. How do you, like, I, I can't even make a chocolate chip cookie, so. <laughs> I, how does, you can't? Well, I mean, I can make them. Are they good? No, I think you should make some and bring them into into the workplace, and we'll be the judge. At least one ingredient, like they're flat oh, or forget it. Then. Yeah, Don't no, I'm bother. serious. I just it's not my thing. Cookies are good. I mean, people eat them in dough form, so I'm sure. I mean, if it has chocolate and sugar in it, score. My dough is good, mm-hmm. but something happens in the oven. Oh. So we just simply dip the strawberries in some nice coverture chocolate, and then we uh, hand pipe the little lines on them. And then for Bob Irving especially, we made him a, a great cake with uh, a life-size football on it, and we hope that he crushes the football because inside of that is even more footballs, so he really? can share it. Yeah, Amazing. and then and then the strawberries with the football. Um, uh, image on them is is uh, lined with the cake. So it's like a pinata full of footballs, <laughs> but it's the pinata is made of chocolate, and inside is more chocolate. I love that. Yeah, I guess so. Pinata football chocolate cake. Yeah. So we, you're giving away these 800 chocolate footballs tomorrow to the first 800 people who arrive at the stadium. Yes. That's right. Outside of our tent for the pregame. Well, CJOB is. I'm not. Oh, you're not. Are you going to be no. there? I'm going to listen to Bob. Irving on the radio. <laughs> You'll probably be at work, right? Your shop is I am going to be at work, exactly. Yeah, it's a lovely little shop, by the way. I just uh, finally got to go into it for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I bought a chocolate golf ball, actually, because <laughs> I'm uh, a golf lunatic, and it was uh, it didn't last long, let's just say that. So when you, ha- when you get an order for something like this, 800 mini chocolate footballs, we learned that you were doing this on October 4th, mm-hmm. so you really haven't had a whole lot of time to prepare. Mm-hmm. So do you have to suddenly send out like a, a massive order on top of what you already have to order to do what you do? We do. We just, we just, we have a very diligent team, Robert, Roberta, and Brianna, and Ray, who's actually in London this week, so that made it a little bit, London, like England, <laughs> even farther, uh, so that made it a little bit, but you know, we, we have other orders as well, and so we just... Uh, we just we we're like we're literally like a little army. We just we have a system and and then we um, we also need to make time for packaging things. So it's done. They they were done as of yesterday, actually. Are they all going to be individually packaged? Yep, they are. Yep. Oh my word! And in compostable packaging, Jeez, by the way. Look at this. So just in case, I hope you don't litter, good people of Winnipeg. <laughs> But uh, anyway, at least it's comp- compostable packaging. You probably get asked this all the time, but when you're baking, are you taste test tasting as much as the rest of us? Like, I, have you already had twelve footballs, for example, by the time <laughs> you finish this project? Well, I I don't eat breakfast or rarely eat breakfast, and if I do, it's something really small like blueberries and almonds, so I can keep my my taste buds pure, and I don't feel saturated. And then I can taste all day long. And then I I literally go home and I eat vegetables. I have broccoli and cauliflower, and like I tried to eat uncooked. Foods and and uh, but I do eat. I, I do. Sam- we all sample all day long. What did you say there about keeping your taste buds pure? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it's no smoking or drinking or very little wine. Very little wine. I could like. It doesn't drink chocolate more wine. and wine go together? They Isn't do. that the whole point? We had a great wine taste at a private event for uh, uh, the folks at Boxdale Construction uh, Wine and Chocolate event. But I needed to know what wines I was going to choose. I, I knew some some labels and some and some types, and uh, and then I was able to 
complement them with some really good chocolate. But do the blueberry and almonds, are those particular foods that help with keeping the taste well, buds? Well, it's, it's protein and it's antioxidants. It's just, it's just good, nutritious food. <laughs> so it's not necessarily so it's anything like, for cleansing and the it's palate. Also, it's also just really, it's just, it doesn't have a lot of fat content in it. It's just very okay. light. And uh, so it's, it is like when you're, when you're tasting any foods, you want to eat light or or very little to begin with. So Bob Irving is a legend Hall of Fame broadcaster. How have you gone about creating a legendary spot on the culinary slash retail scene here in Winnipeg? Because you have become synonymous with quality and Winnipeg to a great extent. Constance, I don't know if you realize that or not, but what's, what, that. well, it's absolutely true. What has been the key in in building your business? Uh, well, we really truly get very excited about other people's events. We just did a bat, mit, bat mitzvah for a young girl named Poppy, and we created these little handmade poppies on top of her chocolates. So adorable. Uh, so we do that, and then and then just we've we've done a really a lot of um, iconic molds for Winnipeg. We we created the Golden Boy. We created the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, uh, Birch Bark Bar. Just. Uh, filled with pure birch syrup from incredible couple from the Palm Manitoba Birchworks uh, who tap. Did you know birch syrup, by the way? We all know with maple syrup, it takes about 40 liters of sap. I think I told you this already, Lauren. 40 liters of sap to make one liter of, of birch syrup, of maple syrup, but it's, it's 120, at least 120 to one for birch syrup. So, I've never even so heard it's of really, birch syrup. I know, but people have been tapping it for a millennium, literally, but it just takes so much to tap it that... that um, that it's just, uh, you just don't see it out in the marketplace. So we created a, a mold out of a piece of birch bark for this uh, this incredible, precious product. So uh, earlier this year, we got recognized for that. We received the Tourism Winnipeg Small Business of the Year Award. I was super, 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 like, thrilled. All of us, were, we were all we all went there for our, every year we take ourselves out for a lunch or a dinner, and that we had our staff at this event. Well, I know people come to we're you so often, like we did, and said, can you create this for this event? But I think sometimes, too, you're, you're, you, want, you want to be part of it, right? And so mm-hmm. you're saying, I see something special happening in the community. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see what I can do with that, mm-hmm. with chocolate. Has it ever, have you ever tried to create something, and you get to the point, and you're like, okay, this, you can actually not make <laughs> this building into a, a chocolate product, or does it all sure work? Sure we can. Everything we made the can? Richardson Building, and of course, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, was very tricky. Like at first, we were just going to make the the middle part and the top part, and uh, and then I felt that the bottom part was was equally uh, important. Like the the roots that come out of the building, and also just uh, if you if you if you study the building a little bit further, you know that the spaces in between the the roots are one, that lend themselves this for for markets, but also for protesting. And and I think that this is this is an integral part of the museum. When we look at buildings, we look look at it from across and, and from up, but we really don't really take take into consideration the footprint of the building. So we ended up changing our version of the, of the building by including wow. including the and it makes it it's more difficult because then we had to get a new tray and then redesign the box differently. But but now we've got the essence of what I think that museum is partially about. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's good. The website is constancepop.com. Oh, can I tell you about our I Love Lucy video? Yes. Now that you're mentioning the video, have you guys had a chance to look at this? We we have a classic chocolate that we we created into the I Love Lucy mold. <laughs> so we remade the I Love Lucy epic chocolate skit uh, with, if you know, Tina Keeper, this incredible, amazing actress here in the city. 
and uh, she's Lucy and I'm Ethel. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's so much fun, and okay. it is, it's on ConstancePop.com, and we 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 hired uh, Rivard Productions, and they totally did this wonderful production I will tweet on us. That out as well. And also, last lastly, uh, a percentage of the proceeds of I Love Lucy chocolates go to Drag the Red. And we call the campaign I Love Tina for Tina Fontaine and because I love Tina Keeper. <laughs> Fabulous. Very nice idea, yeah. ConstancePop.com is the website. You can follow on Twitter at Pop Chocolates, on Instagram at Pop Chocolates, or Constance Pop Chocolates on Facebook. Manitoba's number one bean to bar maker and the shop is located at 180 Provence Boulevard. Constance Pop, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for the chocolate treats. They were sensational. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for having us and see you next time. Once again, the first 800 people who stop by the tent, the pregame tent, CJOB tomorrow will get a chocolate football in celebration of Bob Irving's 800th game that he's covering with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.